Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 143. Today we're talking about Elon, we're talking about Trump, we're talking about some world news, global warming, Saudi Arabia, and a little bit of, little bit of music with Rihanna, and uh, of course, no, Novak Djokovic, who just today was uh, strangely compared to Muhammad Ali. So a lot of fun stuff coming up. Stay tuned. <laughs> Buckle up your seatbelts, put your trade tables up, the Pilot Boys are taking off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vish One and Partha. All right, V, we're back. I want to kick this episode off with, with a little fun segment, so... I sat down, I did a bunch of research on um, NFL QBs the, uh, the last few days and over the weekend, and uh, I just wanted to rank my top 10 QBs and, uh, you know, kind of see see where we uh, where we sit on this stuff. What do you think, B? Interested to hear where you stand. Okay, okay. cool. So uh, I'm just pulling it up over here. Um, let, let me... Uh, let me get going. Uh, all right, number one, I have Marcus Mariota. <laughs> I think it's, it's only up for this guy. So that's why uh, why he sits at number one on my list. Number two, Zach Wilson. Um, you know, I think any any BYU Cougar that's going after Cougars is definitely playing a different game than the rest of the quarterbacks on this list. So uh, that's why he's up there. Number three is uh, Trevor Lawrence. I think, you know, coming out from the Urban Meyer thumb, uh, I think he's definitely had a lot to learn. The, the program is a dumpster fire, and I think that's only opportunity for Trevor Lawrence. Number four is uh, Drew Locke. Um, you know, just, a, just think he's going to lock things up this year. And uh, number five is Carson Wentz. He's a solid QB. And I, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there with my top five. I actually did this list, V, uh, yesterday to uh, kind of just like as a troll to some people. And it, it was a list of the 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. And I, I've just been reading it bottom to top. And I got through the entire list yesterday. And I couldn't stop laughing because once you start reading a list like that, you're, you're you know, even if you're pretending you're ranking the QBs, and you get to like the final five, and then you have Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. You get into that density of talent, and it just sounds so ridiculous to just say it all the way through. Yeah, uh, uh, that is uh, an interesting top five list. Uh, I was going to say clearly, we need to get you watching some more NFL games this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the Marcus Mariota one, I'll excuse because he plays for the Falcons, and we know you're Atlanta. You're an Atlanta, Atlanta fan. Uh, but yeah, moving on to more serious subjects now. <laughs> yeah. Back, you know, back into uh, you know some more games that are happening in the world uh, while we wait for for sports to start back up. Um, Elon trying to get out of the Twitter deal soon to likely get back in when it gets a little bit cheaper for him. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we talked about this weeks ago. It's another one of those things that 
it, it was like fairly straightforward when we saw him trying to talk about the bot traffic, like after the market went down, clearly this dude doesn't want to overpay for this deal relative to the new market, especially losing like 30, 40% of his holdings in Tesla or whatever, whatever amount that was, it was a pretty crazy amount of wealth that he lost. And so he didn't want to lose his ownership and leverage in Tesla just to own Twitter, which is, you know, it kind of makes sense. And he's also got this, uh, strange beef with the sec so i think he has extra reason to try and be as aggressive and shady as possible and uh you know i was talking about this with with my uh my really good friend kyle who you met me uh, also my barber best barber in la and uh we were talking about this and it's it's weird how billionaires play all these games with all these random vendettas and all the shit that they they have to you know do for themselves but the the casualties are going to be the headline and it's only going to be one headline there's a million headlines on elon buying twitter there's gonna be one headline on all the twitter layoffs that happen as a result of this there's gonna be one headline on all the tesla layoffs that happen as a result of this and i think that's where this stuff just gets a little bit ludicrous to me i mean if you want to buy a company buy a company but to make it a spectacle in such a way with such volatility around it that it's threatening you know the livelihoods of, of yeah, thousands of people. I think that's when maybe you got to ask yourself like what your power is in that situation or whether you're using it the right way. Yeah. Narcissism is a very, very dangerous illness. Um, and attention only obviously magnifies it and platforms like Twitter, for example, the companies trying to buy only magnify it further when you get a bullhorn and people start responding and giving you some credibility that you may or may not deserve. In Elon's case, uh, I guess for me, it's a story of disappointment because I think it undermines his his kind of character that he's created outside of Tesla and the character that the media feeds into and supports. I know the earlier the earlier story was uh, this week was about his, his 10, 10 kids, um, uh, and how he wants to continue to impregnate women or something. I don't remember what it was, but these are the stories that I think um, disappoint me because it undervalues what he's actually done for society, um, which was be an underdog, beat out the people don't fully appreciate what it took to actually introduce another major car manufacturer into the ecosystem, specifically in America with the type of control that the big three automakers have um, overall as well as kind of the things that he's done with SpaceX, his behavior, his his Twitter actually, and, and his behavior around social media has actually undermined the value there. I forgot to add his creation of involvement in PayPal too. So this is a guy who has introduced very meaningful technologies and very meaningful um, positive changes to the world who, is kind of trying to destroy that value by the way that he behaves and he acts and also his lack of consideration for anyone but elon musk right this whole twitter thing great you're trying to undervalue you're trying to get the best deal for yourself as possible um that's fine but there's a way you know it's like gordon gecko the greed is good uh mentality that he has and it's like i really am starting to understand why so many people really really dislike this guy and i'm not in a you know i've, I've in the past been 
someone who's tried to create balance in that narrative where I always try to highlight the positive elements of who he is, but there's no way to defend his behavior here. And it under, underlies kind of the overall issue that that's happening with big business. You know, you have these guys like Chamath and others who really, really feed into this idea of the celebrity CEO. In Elon's case, it's at least backed by some success, but a lot of these guys that are getting headlines and attention, when you look at their track record of the businesses that they they prop up through this celebrity and attention, most of them are failing, you know? Um, and that's what's scary here is where is the balance going to come back to? The, the best companies in the world are run by CEOs and founders who don't chase headlines. That's just the bottom line. If you look at Warren Buffett, you look at Tim Cook, you even look at um, a lot of these guys that are extremely successful, they understand that you know being a firestorm is not necessarily a great, uh, a great thing to continue to add value to your underlying businesses. Now, if your most important priority is the value of self, then of course this makes sense. But if you're thinking the the role of a CEO is to put the business first, you're at the top of your business. You control the livelihoods of all of your employees. You control the life the 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 value that's created for the shareholders who are investing their hard-earned money into your company. And I really wish that in in today's society with social media that these a lot of CEOs will get back to understanding that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's incredibly well said, bro. And I think, you know, when you when you have these kind of characters becoming the the real, you know, moral leadership for our country and setting the example of how we conduct ourselves really for the world as well, just from how connected we are, um, we're creating this this pattern for everybody to see that acting this way creates reward. And so we're essentially training our world to encourage this type of behavior. And uh, the easy way to reverse that is to tune out and tune into the things that you're interested in and the things that you feel like add value to the world. And, you know, I think there's things that Elon says that are really brilliant too, but it's, it's tough when you have that kind of self-centered nature. It makes it very, very hard for, um, you know, a person who's not really diving deep to grasp the value out of what you can actually contribute. And I think when you look back, you know, I think about the Da Vinci's or the Edison's or the Ben Franklin's, like a Ben Franklin was a very, very politically involved inventor. But we hear, you know, quite, quite positive narratives about Ben Franklin, especially within the context of the times, right? And I think that um, you've just seen you've seen this done differently in the past. You've seen this role filled differently uh, and with a little bit more humility and elegance. And I think maybe it wasn't like that back then, but uh, you know, it is what we strive for as a society. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the question really comes down to, you know, is, is it all fair if, if this is actually benefiting the bottom line of what, what what's necessary to create a successful business. I don't know the answer to that, but if you look at what's happening with Elon, there's been a lot of situations where unnecessarily uh, shareholders and employees have taken a hit because of his commentary specifically um, that doesn't 
need to be made. So, I mean, I guess, you know, in this world of, of media um, and self-controlled media, the question really becomes what does, what is required for success? I obviously, my, my, I fall on the side of this is not good, you know, um, but, you know, it's definitely not good if you're, if you care about society, you care about humility, you care about, you know, um, people developing themselves in a positive way. But on the flip side, you look at what dictates money and what controls the narrative. It is social media. It is Twitter. It is getting as many headlines as you possibly can. So the question is, do we blame the Elons of the world or we do, do we blame ourselves for allowing our society to get to this point? Because everybody is corruptible. Society is corruptible. Human beings are corruptible. It's all about the exposure and the level of exposure and the systems in which those traits are magnified or they are suppressed. Um, and we just live in a time right now where those things are all magnified and it's, it's creating a dangerous situation. I believe it's a powder keg that's about to explode with, you know, and we're seeing some of the negative consequences already, but I think um, we're headed down a very dangerous path. Yeah, and I, I want to comment on two things that you brought up that I thought were really, really strong. Um, one is just in general on how we evaluate success and whether these things should be valued when when we consider the, the financial value that they create for the organizations. Um, at the same time, I think we need to challenge the question of whether success is the biggest company because clearly shooting for creating the most money incentivizes habits and actions that are not positive for society. And I think that's a fundamental belief in society we all need to challenge, whether more money is better, which you know, I, I don't think it is. I think beyond a point, it's the same as, you know, putting more silicone in your body. You know, it's the same as getting more operations. It's the same as spending all your money on fashion or uh, putting all your focus on your social media. It's just the focus on everything but yourself. And I think that's a that's a question that society needs to ask itself one percent at a time. Um, and then kind of the extension to that is you, the comment was, you know, who do we blame? Do we blame uh, others or do we blame ourselves? Right. And I think that's that's a really strong question. I think there's a logical and then there's like a, a actionable way to view that, like from a logical way, you can place blame in a lot of different locations. But from like the practical, actionable standpoint, if you place blame on yourself, you have control, right? You have control and you can create change. So if you place the blame on yourself for even consuming the content and you change your consumption habits, you've immediately created peace of mind for yourself. And I think it's important to recognize that in these situations, there's, there's so many people that feel powerless and like, I'm with you. Like, I think there's many moments that all of us feel powerless, but you can choose to take that stimulus away from yourself and create a circumstance that gives you a better mindset, better mental health, whatever you're looking for. And I think those are the those are the things that we can all do on a day-to-day -day basis to not fall prey to this. Because I think the other thing we're kind of going through as a society is this, you know, we were being sold the American dream of freedom. Everything I heard growing up was freedom, 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 freedom. And all you hear now from the government is security, 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 security. And so yeah. we've taken the freedom thing, which is like, hey, like you be a slave to us 
in terms of work your job, contribute, help us can maintain power, and you get freedom. And you can do whatever you want with your free time. So well, what did we do? Well, we created the internet. We all started thinking and talking, and we realized that we were all enslaved to the government. And so we started to make changes in how we thought. Then all of a sudden, it started to disrupt the power structure. So they're taking the freedoms away slowly and focusing on this idea of security. And I think when you have these types of changes that are happening around you, when uh, folks are starting to realize, like when Trump got elected, I think it showed politicians what we really think of them, that we don't actually see that much value in what they do. Because if we yeah. did, we would have, you know, we probably wouldn't have made that decision if we thought it was really like that, that serious, right? And I think- yeah. I think you see these moments happen. And um, I think for politicians, maybe the last ones to really feel this kind of like loss of power compared to all the other professions that have undergone it. Like physicians hit it in the early 2000s with WebMD. I thought that was a really big moment in healthcare because it changed the power dynamic between a patient and a physician. And I think it improved healthcare. And there's same thing kind of happening with politics and yeah, there's so much of our individual kind of role in this to be able to understand what's happening from a fear mindset from the people who are part of this power structure who see their influence fading and their desperate attempts to maintain that influence and just to tie that back to what we're talking about that's what i see when i see elon behave like this is he's tasted you know, he flew really close to the sun, right? And he's yeah. trying to flap his wings and get back up there. And you see this pattern over and over. Things get more and more controversial slowly and slowly and slowly until someone loses their shit and falls off in some sort of major way. And, you know, because of the contributions Elon's, Elon brings to our society, we hope, we hope he doesn't fall off. We hope he's able to course correct and, you know, find find himself in some mental peace so he can continue to, you know, be, be the positive light he is for us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, what a, what a hectic time, you know, just kind of bring that around. And um, one, one other thing we noticed uh, with Elon is the uh, Trump bromance has ended. It seems there were some shots fired back and forth yesterday. Um, it, again, amidst the shots, there's another another portion of Elon's tweet saying the Democrats should call off the attack on Trump and essentially saying, don't make it so his only way to survive is to regain the presidency. And I just think it's really interesting that he's aware of how Trump operates as a self-centered individual, but he's not seeing the mirror. Like he's not seeing that his comment to him is it, 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 it can be reflected right back to himself. I mean, you know, we've both said this and we both agree on this. We've had many conversations around this. One of the most difficult things for human beings to do is be self-aware, right? It's, it's just something in how we're wired and how society is actually structured and how we're, we're told to be um, that makes that being be very, very difficult. You know, we're very um, self-preserving, but we are not self-reflective and we cannot look in the mirror as a society generally because it's really really hard to look at yourself and see your flaws right um but it actually is one of the most liberating things you can do for yourself because the stimuli that are around you um don't impact you as much you know um that's part of being self-aware because you're doing the work on self which the truth is what does our society push is to 
to pursue um, self, but that's not actually what's what's happening. We are all kind of pushed toward fitting into what society's standards are. And because of that, self-awareness becomes difficult because you're constantly comparing yourself to others versus actually looking and reflecting at yourself. And that's exactly what's happening here with Elon. He's able to see exactly what's wrong with Trump, but can't look in the mirror and see what's wrong with himself. And Trump is the greatest example of this, right? He is probably the least self-aware human being that we've seen as a public figure um, hold as much power as he can. And it's, again, a reflection of how little society actually values that trait. But as, as you always say, you know, and the famous saying goes, sometimes you have to zig when everybody else is zagging, you know, do the work, focus on being self-aware, focus on your flaws, work on them, you know, obviously focus on your strengths as well. But being aware of your weaknesses is, is, is very liberating. One of the best things you can do for yourself. Yeah. And uh, kind of what what we're in for if we continue down this path as a country is is the same thing we're seeing as in Sri Lanka. Um, a bunch of protests rallied to uh, their president's house and uh, they're actually just occupying it, protesting in uh, seems a nonviolent way. Um, this kind of all tied to inflation, different tax policies, different import policies that the government has implemented, um, really calling for the president to step down in a major way. And, and it looks like, you know, that they may get it done. Uh, v, what's what's your take on, you know, what's happening over there? President is stepping down, you know, um, and I think the prime minister as well. Um, it just is a reflection to, you know, I think it's important for citizens who do feel powerless. It's an important point to make that you do have power, right? Um, and this is a great example of how citizens can still exercise their power. When I saw the images and video of how many people showed up um, to this, like there are a lot of Americans who, who feel um, feel disenfranchised. And I think the difference between what's happening in Sri Lanka and what's happening in America is our media system in America makes it much harder for people who are all being disenfranchised the same way to see that they're all fighting the same battle. You know, they separate us and make us divided amongst each other. But this just shows you the power of like unifying against something and the impact that it can have. And it can still be had in 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 the current times. And that's, it's a, it's a valuable thing to see in my opinion, because there wasn't violence. The people stood up, they said enough is enough and they're forcing and impacting some change. Yeah. So uh, moving into uh, kind of a, a more fun headline, uh, plastic turf, artificial turf is replacing grass all over the country um, due to global warming. And uh, you know, it's, this is a, just an interesting headline. Um, I think first and foremost, plastic turf does require less water, which is why, you know, a lot of areas like in California utilize it. Um, but it, it, it gives off a tremendous amount of heat and also it doesn't turn carbon dioxide to oxygen. Yeah. Like all plants do. Um, kind of a strange, kind of a strange, uh, decision, kind of strange culture that we have. Um, what's your, what's your view on this? V? 
you you bring up a great point, you know, uh, about the actual value of having grass uh, for our environment. Um, but, you know, and then also highlight, you know, the, the old kind of human need that when you have a home, you're supposed to have green grass and by any means necessary, even if it's the solve is creating more negative impact mm -hmm. <laughs> on, on the environment. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just unfortunate that these simple things like global warming are not being taken as seriously. We saw the recent Supreme Court decision um, global warming is real, and even if it's even if you're not a non-believer and don't think that its impact is happening quite as quickly or as rapidly as every as as the staunchest advocates of of climate change are, um, you would think that you know you would care enough about the environment generally to say, hey, we should probably take some preventative steps because you know these challenges, some of them can be fixed with relatively slight changes in our behavior and, and society's unwillingness to adapt and change even in the simplest ways and human beings specifically because this isn't a challenge anybody um in the in the animal kingdom is discussing right they're just facing the consequences of it we're the only people that kind of are, are contributing um contributing negatively uh, <laughs> and and also um not making the changes to protect protect every 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 living species which we have the responsibility to do yeah yeah well said and i think the majority to my understanding the majority of americans believe in global warming and the only area of debate is whether there's a human impact on it or not but i think we can all agree that plants serve a critical function and having more plants is good yeah <laughs> having more and, nature on this planet is good and this the solve for our drought is fixing the water issue not uh putting grass turf at home yeah. so when you when you more there's grass. a there's a tremendous amount of you read into dams there's actually a tremendous amount of damage that they do to local environments and a lot of the reason why we're in the water crisis we're in is is because of the way we've constructed dams and obstructed water flow so something fun to read about when you have you know a few few minutes here or there um something else that's happening is uh saudi arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, now one of the largest funds in the world, if not the largest, um, seems to have its hands in everything. Started kind of in the sports ecosystem and, you know, obviously oil, energy, that, that kind of sector, and really has been expanding quite rapidly. It seems like every new business headline I read that's got a major transaction or deal, Sovereign Wealth Fund is involved. Uh, the golf, the live golf, for example, backed by them as well. Um, this was, this is interesting because, uh, as I was researching this one, B, I saw that the Chinese government from the Silk Road Fund just put $3 billion into Indonesia's fund. And you, you look at the world like this, and sometimes you just realize that there's a few governments that have just accrued a tremendous amount of wealth, and then they allocate their assets around, essentially having a say in all of everyone else's business. And if you're trying to improve your circumstances, you essentially have to dilute your vision with somebody else who already has capitals capital and their vision ends up you know getting into into your world and affecting it in a way that's strategically beneficial for them and what we're doing is we're essentially giving a few people power and based on the dynamics of money those people are then slowly changing the rules of the way things are operating or influencing the way things operate to then accrue more and more money power and control 
and we've seen it before, but I think it's getting increasingly clear the more that we see the financial data. And this is just the financial data we see. There's a ton of dark money that moves around the planet as well, influencing events. And so I think this is, you know, it, the Sovereign Wealth Fund is just one of the really influential groups that's driving the direction of the world. And I think we, we all need to ask ourselves whether it's a good thing for any one person to have that kind of influence on the way that we construct this planet. Yeah, I mean, the, in, in, in looking at this, I find it to be a catch-22, right? Because on one hand, you can look at what Saudi Arabia is doing through the lens of, oh, this is really negative. They're using their money and flexing and trying to dictate power. But it's also, you look at the other side of it, and it's also a, a, a wise strategy to look at this and say, okay, there might be a world in which our economy can no longer depend on oil. How do we protect the interests of our country? moving forward let's utilize this money while the the, the well is rich uh, to ensure um, the self-preservation of our country and our citizens for the long term obviously there are some issues that are happening with you know the free market uh, entrepreneurs and business owners in saudi arabia you know there, there's it's kind of a mixed bag some of them see the long-term value that this is creating you know and some see it as kind of infringing on their ability to create for their themselves and their family um, by a state-run organization. I do think that there can be a balance that's struck because I do think if you are going to have a government that's responsible for preserving um, the state or the nation um, or what have you, um, that they do need to think about these things and how do we make sure our interests and in, in that, quite frankly, is developed through creating money and wealth. That's the way the world works. Uh, so from that lens, I don't necessarily see it as a negative, but then you add in kind of the political background of Saudi Arabia, uh, specifically, you know, some of the issues um, that they have around human rights and also around uh, the, the current king. Um, there, you know, there, there are some questions there, but the idea of having a wealth fund is something that quite frankly, from my perspective, is actually a positive thing if done right. It would be nice if our government didn't waste as much money and took the three trillion or six trillion or whatever the number of trillion dollars that they they printed and actually really had it um, had it um, pushed out and distributed in into channels that actually would lead to growth of our economy. I think that would be a positive thing. Right. Um, if if done right, we're trying to grow the interests of the United States and make sure that our government is self-sufficient, that we rely on as little taxpayer money as possible versus just continuing to milk taxpayer money and waste it. You know, it's all about the lens that you look at this through. And I think, you know, there's positives to be taken away from what Saudi Arabia is doing when you take away kind of like the media around what you believe about Saudi Arabia and and. The, the, the government itself there. 100%, 100%. That's so spot on. And I think you bring up a great point that there, there really are two sides to everything, right? And I think it's important for us to empathize whenever we criticize folks who have money, power, influence. The intent is not always, and I would wager to say rarely ever, to be the most powerful person. I think fear comes into place. I think the desire to protect 
yourself, your family, your position, your stability, your security, all these kind of human needs come into place. And then the actions and choices happen that influence the world, maybe in a, maybe in a negative way, maybe in a way that's perceived to be chasing power, chasing, you know, wealth. But I think, um, every, every coin has two sides and this, you know, this is a great example of how a government, yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if the PPP money had been put into, you know, a set of funds, one for each industry and folks who were, you know, in the industry were able to influence the direction that the capital and proceeds went during COVID, you could have had a dramatic lift in terms of the values of this country. You could have positioned us in a direction where the things that are good for the environment, for example, are, are being supported the most, or the things that are good for population health, or the things that are you know good for good for mental health, right? And like there's so many, so many ways you can influence things. But what the government did was they they traded essentially the economic health for more of the same. And I think you tend to see that happen a lot uh, in the US is that because they they get stuck on this question of, okay, well, if we are to influence things, in what way do we influence them? And who gets to make that decision? Then there's everyone stuck at the table arguing. You end up with without actually too much drastic change, which kind of can serve to be preventative mechanism in a good way, but also can limit positive interference as well. And, you know, that's, that's the nature of it. And there's the chance that you as a government could think you're doing the right thing for your people. And it could turn out that what you did was actually like possibly the worst thing you could have done in that situation. It's like, there's not a lot of clear answers to these types of macro decisions. I think that's what makes politics so challenging. And it's why there's so many perspectives on it because we've seen every decision go every single type of way. Yeah, like you said, you know, and exercising power in this scenario, because, you know, I, I, I don't want to just dismiss everything that's negative that about, you know, some of the history in Saudi Arabia. Um, but at the end of the day, you it's hard to look at this and say this is about, you know, self-preservation or power. The guy already has enough power and money. Um, he controls his whole country. But it is he does think and believe that he's operating in the best interests of, of the people. He's not taking this money and investing it into military. He's actually setting aside a significant amount of money um, to make sure that the economy sustains well past his life um, for his people, whether or not every element of it is correct or not, that can be debated. You know what I mean? But as, as you, you highlighted, it's hard to see this specific activity and think that it's, you know, it's, it's all about, it's all about, you know, power and money because they already have all the power and money that they could want. Yeah. And I think it speaks to what, what is the unconscious influence of power, which is that these decisions do add up and they do drive the world a certain direction. And I think it's something that it's worth keeping an eye on because we saw with SoftBank, their influence on the startups that existed in the U S over the last 10 years. And, you know, WeWork itself becoming a thing and to, to the degree it did, really primarily due to SoftBank's involvement with WeWork. Yep. And, you know, you can see one group significantly change the way our planet looks and feels and operates. And so there's there's a lot of things that change based on these decisions. It's just important to stay, stay hip to what's going on. Yep. Um, other news, Rihanna became the world's youngest female self-made billionaire. 
we are we already knew this was gonna happen. Rihanna's Rihanna's been the shit. Uh, Fenty's some of the coolest stuff ever. She has really just become a a magnate in terms of what she's been able to build, and she's always had this very very passionate following. Um, so this doesn't this doesn't surprise me uh, one ounce. What do you think, B? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And I think that the the story here is about understanding self and being true to self. If you look at why Rihanna has been successful, every element of every business that she's put out feels authentic to who she is. They're well thought out. They address market needs. So it's a combination of her mind and the people who have approached her with deals, um, marrying herself to the right deals and the right scenarios fully exploiting her cultural relevance um, and seeing what the results that you can get by doing that are. You know, she essentially took the vehicle that she created for herself by being a music artist um, and turned it into a business empire um, that now can sustain her and her family for generations to come. Um, and, and it just goes to show that you can do it. Like she comes from a, a from a, a small island country in Barbados, but came to America. It's a great immigrant story, found a passion, utilized that passion to create a narrative and a, a, around herself in which now she has the liberty to do whatever she wants to do and move however she wants to move, which is, you know, kind of the, it is the American dream. You don't have to become a billionaire like Rihanna, but it is a great, you know, popular pop culture story of someone who did it kind of the right way. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, something else that, uh, uh, that was interesting over the last week, Wimbledon was going on, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, won over Nick. Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Kyrgios, 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 dude, I love this guy. So he is like the bad boy of tennis. If you're not hip. And uh, he actually just drew a lot of controversy this week because he was wearing red Jordans to center court after his match. And you're only supposed to wear white at Wimbledon. I saw a few clips of reporters actually super pissed that he would dare not wear white shoes after the game. And they were like, why would you? Why would you do that? And he's like, because I, I like Jordans. I wanted to wear them. And I wear what I want. And the entire set of interactions was is so funny. And, you know, to see him actually make the finals of Wimbledon, this was not a player that um, I didn't, I didn't think he would get, get into the main spotlight like this, but it shows two things like one, the power of the mind. Um, and then two, like cultural relevance is so interesting. And to see somebody just emerge as a star in the sport, Nick has been building in the tennis ecosystem for, a couple of years now buzzing and buzzing but i think this was one of his major moments as as a character and a figure in tennis to really uh come out and i think you know to me it, it's it's wearing red shoes on the court yeah there's a whole lot to be said i don't know if you caught the final but he is a definitely a character right and i don't he's a likable bad boy and that's what's why he has the cultural cultural relevance specifically in in a sport like tennis which is so buttoned up um the guy you know he's his own worst enemy from a skill standpoint because his personality um if you watch the match he loses he gets upset really quickly 
You know, he gets frustrated. He's always yelling at his box if they're not cheering loudly enough. Like literally the whole match, he's yelling at his box <laughs> and it's visible and audible. Um, he's yelling at the umpires. He's yelling at the line <laughs> judges. But at the end of the day, he, and as opposed to him thinking that that's something wrong with him, he embraces what his personality is. Um, he apologized after the match. He is someone who is pretty self-aware. Now, you know, you say you see those temper, the temper flare-ups and you say, okay, is this, does this manifest into real life and how he manages his personal relationships, which, you know, there was a troubling story that came out last week as well about um, him potentially um, abusing an ex-girlfriend, physically abusing an ex-girlfriend. When you see these personality traits of him on the court, you know, it it makes it easier to bridge that gap that that potentially could be there. So it's great. Um, I think we have to advocate. This is clearly a guy who deals with some internal demons and issues. It's a, it's a careful line that he has to follow as well as the community and his fans need to follow of encouraging him to be himself, but also um, not encouraging him um, to go off the deep end and, and maybe be his worst own worst enemy. Yeah, I really absolutely. like I really like the guy because he's again authentic um and feels very authentic. And did you see his between the legs underhand serve? He had That's a really crazy. yeah. Real tricky, saying. real tricky serve, real tricky player just to just to face out. My favorite moment was in the post-match interview when they asked him if he was looking forward to making more major finals and he said no this is too tiring <laughs> I thought that was he's like i'm exhausted i don't want to do this again <laughs> that was pretty funny <laughs> man he's gonna make you know he's an interesting story because he's gonna get a lot of sponsorship dollars his way just because of his general swag and his fan appeal so very fun um i think the sport of tennis definitely requires a little bit of levity People take that sport way too seriously, and uh, it's it's fun to see characters who keep everyone honest. If he just if he just moves closer to balance a little bit, this guy's talent is sublime, man. Like he had thirty aces, like he's an unstoppable force. He just does not care as much as everyone else does. He's just <laughs> freaking unbelievably talented. So it would be nice to see him find it, but it's also nice to see someone, we saw the Naomi Osaka situation of how the pressure can destroy you and take the joy of, of the game, the pursuit of perfection and the pursuit of winning can take some of the joy of life away from you. Um, it's nice to see that this guy can create a career for himself and this not only care about the bottom line, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's true. And I think that individuality is going to increase his bottom line. If he conformed like everybody else, who knows how successful he would be from repressing his personality and having to try and fit in. But to let him be himself, it just it shows you authenticity is everything. And, you know, I'm with you. I think you see people go through these st struggles. But uh, if he is if he is going to end up a, a great in the sport, it will require him to find that internal balance and know how to how to turn his personality on and off like a switch. And I think we've seen that with, you know, the greats in, in any other sport. Yep. The most important thing is to make sure that he's treating people outside of himself and the people that he cares about with a degree of respect, you know, and, and matures on from that standpoint, because these are, you know, in your fans, it seems like he's, he's very kind to his fans um, too. So it's just, it's just, he's, we're seeing someone mature 
right? And and going through that process. But there is more to like about Nick than there is to dislike. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, one other factoid about him that I really like is that he mostly plays basketball in his free time. So you know, you got to relate to that. Yeah, we should we should uh, tap into our buddy Andrew Bogan and see if see if we can connect with Nick. He would be great for great for the Lasso brand. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Uh, so on that note, that wraps up our uh, news and notes episode one forty three. We'll be back with a deep dive a little later on in a separate episode. So tune into that. Uh, this is Partha and V always reminding you to stay moving. Be you. You as fly. Hi, the boys out. Oh, no.